It's time for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Doug is a certified financial planner, providing you with a personal financial hotline to answer your questions about tax planning, investments, retirement planning, estate planning, and education planning. Doug and Linda are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing financial and investment services since 1983. Doug and Linda will be answering your questions on WPTF's phone lines anytime during the next hour. Call 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Call toll-free 1-800-662-7979. And for mobile phones, it's star 680. And now, Doug and Linda Lewis and Money Matters. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Or you can call us toll-free long distance at 1-800-662-7979. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, what's a will, what's a living will. And yes, it really can confuse you, but you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs, and people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles, and that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda. And yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement. 
and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities. So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance, or investments, Call us now on the open lines and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Out-of-towners, call us toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. Securities offered through HBEC, Inc., Lewis Financial Management, and HBEC, Inc. are not related entities. Well, Doug, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of our listeners, Linda. It's another year. It's a great year. It's a great year, and it's a great new beginning. And uh, welcome to all of our listeners this evening. Thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with Doug and Linda. And, uh, Doug, I saw a very interesting article in... uh, I guess it was uh, a reprint uh, from the Chicago Tribune about 2012 being the year of the piggy bank. Did you see that article? I thought that was a great article. I did see it. And I re- what I really liked about it, and of course, you know, at the beginning of every year, there's always uh, resolutions? You know, resolutions and all these articles that talk about the different resolutions that are out there and so on. But... I thought this was a really good uh, alert. Uh, the article, I think, focused on people who procrastinate. Uh, and basically it was, let's stop. For those who procrastinate or worry, what's the key? Get started. And the question, of course, comes down, well, what do I do? 
how do I get started with financial planning? Uh, and really, I think uh, it is a good time. You know, it's your financial future out there. Everybody has a financial future, and you can't make somebody else's financial future. You're responsible for your own financial planning future. And so the real question is, well, how do you move forward, and what cautions should you take? But the biggest of all is do it. Uh, there was a, the article referenced a, a study that was done uh, that most of us blunder through our finances, not because we don't have enough money, but because we wait and we hope rather than taking the modest steps that will ultimately free us from worry, regret, and losses. And so here we are at the beginning of another new year. A lot of folks spent a lot of money at the close of 2011. And there, I hope that many of our listeners are reassessing their financial situation because there are some folks that maybe inherited or got, you know, large sums of money as gifts or inheritance. And then there are others that are groaning and moaning because the credit card debt went up again. So here we are. Folks do need to plan in the new year, don't they, Doug? They do, Lynn. And, you know, having done this for so many years, I have a a huge data bank of clients that have come to us through the years in my office. And it seems like everybody comes with a different type of orientation. Some are very diligent in being goal setters. They set their goals, they achieve their goals, and with our advice, they have become financially independent. And now our job, of course, having walked them through these years, now is to go ahead and maintain their financial independence. Many of these people, what we call the middle-class millionaires, you know, they've accumulated through hard work and through uh, Diligence. diligence, working many years, And yet their values are still middle-class values. So on paper, they're millionaires, their investment portfolio, millionaires, and yet their values are such that they are able to stick to their guns and achieve their goals. But then there's others who just come to us and they're heavy spenders. They might make a lot of money. I mean, I can think of ones that have come to us that have made, you know, 100, 200, 300,000 a year and they've still accumulated nothing because they have a spending problem. But the good thing is that when they come to see us, we solve their problems also because they fall into a different profile. It's almost like a look in the mirror, right? (laughs) It is a look in the mirror. And the big thing is to adjust your approach if you are ones who have been the procrastinators. Okay, well, I'd like to just announce that if you're one of those folks that's been procrastinating and you would like to do something about your financial planning, you can call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh. Our number is 919 872-7000. That is 872-7000, USA 7000. Okay, Bobby, how can I help you? Hi. Hi. I have a friend who is in in Georgia. Uh Uh-huh. She's a widow. They have family business uh, worth about a million and a half. Double trust. Double trust. Oh, I like this one. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be fun. Tell me about it. All right. Now, this is neat. This is neat. But I warn you ahead of time, what you're doing now, 
you don't try this one on your own. I know. That, that's for sure. <laughs> this one needs to be done Just, with a professional. Not many attorneys know how to do this. Not many accountants know how to do this. This is not a well-known strategy. Double right, but, unit trust. All right. It's not a unit trust at all. Okay. No. What we're going to do here is we're going to find a way to go ahead and avoid all capital gains. Mm -hmm. All right. How much, uh, give me some of her numbers. Uh Sir, all I know is, is she's about one, about one and a half, the business. All right, business is about a one and a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay, one and a half million dollar business. And uh, have any idea how long she had the business? Uh, oh, 20 years. 20 years, so she's probably got a very low basis in it. Yeah, what it is, uh, she, her husband was a doctor. Uh, he was killed. His son is now taking the practice over. All right, it's a medical practice. That's the business. Right. You're going to have to come in and see me before I, uh, I, I, I give you a firm okay on this one. Yeah. But, I'll but I'll tell you this. In theory, it works like this. I'm doing one right now for some property. Real estate works wonderful like this. Well, and she a small has lots of houses. Huh? She has lots of houses. All right. Estate. Well, anyway, it works in theory like this. Let's say that theoretically she's got uh, uh, $50,000. All right. Doug, I believe we Hello? lost Bobby. Bobby, are you there? I think we lost our caller. All right, Bobby, if you're out there listening, call us back. Sorry about that. Let's go pick it up, though, while we're waiting for Bobby to call us back. Linda, what were you saying before about the people who procrastinate? Well, uh, since it is a new year, and I think a lot of folks uh, have had some consideration, whether it, it be an event in their life, uh, such as receiving inheritance or having, um, you know, a big bonus at the end of the year that they've got to invest some money, make some decisions. Others, um, you know, are trying to assist parents, etc. Or just the feeling that I am going to do financial planning. It's I am going to do it. That's smart because you're one year less that you have in front of you and one year more behind you. So the beginning point is to adjust your approach you know, a lot of times people who struggle with money feel like they're getting nowhere because they don't have enough money. Well, that might be the case if they've been out of a job, but oftentimes it's just simply that they've been bumbling along, and that's the problem. They try to pay the bills when they arrive. They spend time when they think that they should be making a purchase or they're spending stuff when they they just bumble. And then money never seems to be stretched out far enough, even though they think they're being frugal. And you know, Lynn, that is the case even with the very affluent who come to see us, as well as the ones with small paychecks. Exactly. It's how you spend your money. So you do need to adjust your approach here in the new year. There are some folks, I know some of our listeners, that they don't allow themselves, uh, well, they're, they're paralyzed, but, but adjust your approach and move forward. The, so what what do you recommend? Doug? Yeah, I was going to say what I recommend is to get a handle on your income and expenses or what I like to call inflow and outflow. And the biggest problem is how to get a handle on your outflow. Now, what we do in our office, we like to have the clients categorize their expenses into two broad categories. And what are those? The first are the recurring monthly expenses. We call them RMEs, recurring monthly expenses. That's what you're doing every month. 
It's your mortgage payment, of course. It's your utility bill, of course. But it's also how many times you go out for dinner during a month on an average and you're filling up the car, the gas, your your daily lifestyle, what it is. That's your recurring monthly Tuition, expenses. etc. Mm, tuition, you well, don't do that every paying, month. Well, I mean, no, like no, if no, your no, kids no. were in grade school or something. Maybe private school, yeah. Private school. Okay, all right. But I'm talking about you. In most folks, there's the re- recurring monthly expenses, and these are the things that just have to happen and so forth. Once we get the RMEs in place, then we come to the discretionaries. Now, discretionaries are things that don't happen every month. They pop up and pop down or may never come up in everything. For example... They're things that you want, right? They are things you want, such as a vacation. Or gifts. Or gifts. Or clothing. When we separate these two categories, the discretionaries and the recurring monthlies, then we're able to go ahead and say, all right, I'm going to get a new approach. I'm going to go ahead. I know what my income is. It comes in on a regular monthly basis. My recurring monthly outflows are going to be subtracted and at least 20% of my inflows is my target. That is going to go into an automatic investment plan that is going to be for me. We call it pay yourself first. We want to pay ourselves first. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you've got a question, you can join us on the open lines at 860 WPTF. That's 860 9783. And if you're out of town, it is toll free at 1 800 662 7979. So call us and join us on the show this evening. Well, Doug, what is another thing that folks need to do? Well, once they've set up this matter of pay yourself first, then I'm targeting 20% of everything coming in That's by right. subtracting all of my recurring monthly outflows from my recurring monthly inflows, then that 20%, as best we can do it, needs to either go into 401k plans, different retirement plans, and then the whatever uh, doesn't go there to make up the rest of the 20%, it goes into... After tax, just plain accumulation investments. But this needs to be the target. And once it's in place, you have it happen automatically. Then the second thing is don't fool yourself. If you start cheating on the amounts, you're going to be cruel to yourself over the long term because setting up a cycle in which you're always feeling like you're sinking deeper into debt is what the result is. If you have no emergency savings and the car needs tires, What are you going to do? Whip out your credit card then and then struggle with higher charges than those that might be already, you know, it's coming at you. But if you've been accumulating on a regular basis, you're prepared for it. And a lot of people, unfortunately, Linda, say as far as retirement, I'm going to save later. I'm going to save later. But later never seems to arrive. And lo and behold, the closer you get to Social Security, people start to panic and living on an average $1,200 Social Security check a month is not pleasant. And guess what? Getting that second job when you're 70 years old is not very easy. So second thing is, after you get a new approach, don't fool yourself. Don't cheat. So, Doug, can you give our listeners an example of, for example, if you wanted to provide 
25000 a year for retirement living expenses, how much will you need to have accumulated as an asset base to provide that income? Yeah, that's a very good way to approach it because if you think your need is going to be about 25000 a year coming off of an investment portfolio, then that says you're going to probably need to accumulate about a half million dollars. You're going to need to accumulate about $500,000 in the combined 401k and other in, in investments to be able to draw 5% a year off of that. And then that that gives you a target to watch yourself go for. But you know, if you start at 25 years old, you know, even saving $25 a week can get you there, according to some of the studies I've seen, just using simple assumptions. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's not that hard. It's setting up the new approach. Here we are, 2012. Let's get it done. And then, of course, the most important thing is get it done. Make it happen. You know, setting up a goal and saying, I'm going to do it is a, a recipe for a failure if you just don't get it done. So set an appointment with a certified financial planner who is fee-based, one who charges you by the hour to give you advice and help you get it set up and everything, not trying to sell you something. And then it's in place. Then it's in place. It's happening. And think about what questions or issues are in your world that you would like an advisor like Doug uh, or whoever you may be using as your advisor, a, a certified financial planner, to assist you with addressing your financial plan, planning issues here in 2012. And if you'd like to call us in Raleigh at Lewis Financial Management, our number is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And if you'd like to visit us on our website, it's lfmadvisor.com. lfmadvisor.com. Well, Doug, um, well, you're listening to Money Matters. Question. We'd love to hear from you. Call us on the open lines at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. And if you're out of town, call us toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And for cellular callers, it is star 680. Well, Doug, let's take a caller now. Okay, let's take Chris's call. Chris, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Well, I have a question about college funding. Okay. And uh, my question uh, has to do with about how much should you be putting in a year. Uh, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, uh-huh. and I've got twenty-five thousand put away so far for the eight-year-old and fifteen for the four-year-old. Uh-huh. So basically, I've been doing about five a year, trying to. All right. Well, and I'm I think- just wondering if you know if I'm putting in too much, or should I cut? Can I cut back that, or should I actually increase it? All right. Let me ask you a few questions first okay. of all. How old are you, Chris? 43. You're 43. Is it one in? Are you working and your wife or just yourself? Just myself. All right. And what's your income level? It's over 250. You're making 250,000 a year. Okay. So you have no problem in setting aside income. No. All right. Now, the question is where are you setting aside next? Eight year old, got 25,000. Where is it going into? Uh, it's going into uh, uniform gift. And some of that is going into municipal um, um, bonds, things, things of that sort. Yeah. Um, okay. Now that's the mistake you're making. You're okay. actually you're making two mistakes right. there. Uh, the first thing is I'm now recommending to all of my clients that we do not do uniform gift to minors acts accounts any longer. Okay. And the reason being the cost of college education. Your eight year old 
will probably have to spend close to a half million dollars, or certainly your four-year-old will probably have to spend close to a half million dollars to get that kid through school if he goes to a private school. That means that if that child at age 18 suddenly has the right to have a half million dollars yeah. to do what he wants with, right. he may decide that he thinks he's the next Ringo Starr exactly. and he doesn't that's, need to go to college. Yeah, that's a concern. Right. So what I would recommend is, number one, fund to the absolute maximum, but don't fund to a UGMA account. In other words, there is no question of how much that you shouldn't be putting aside. Mm -hmm. uh, I would approach it in a financial planning format as I would go to Chris's financial planning uh, arena. I would look at Chris's living expenses. I would go to Chris's desired financial independence date. And then I would develop an asset allocation formula that encompassed their retirement goals at their time and then include in it. Include that. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. With a half a million dollars, you know. Oh, I mean, it's well, really if scary. If I had that at 18, I wouldn't have done what I did. Sure. And imagine even when you were 21. Could yeah, you have handled exactly. a half million dollars at 21? Yeah, that's right. Personally, I believe that you can do better designing the whole thing for yourself and then letting the child have it at that time. The tax benefit that you gain, I don't think is worth no, it. No, in fact, I've complained about uh, some of the taxes we've had to pay on that through capital gains and things of that sort. Right. The other thing is municipal bonds are the wrong animal anyway. Yeah. You definitely shouldn't be in muni bonds when you're looking at something 15 years down the road. No. You need to have someone look at the entire thing and look at it from the other viewpoint and include that in. And if you call my office during the week, if you like, I'll set up an appointment. Linda will go ahead and, and tell you how we approach it for clients of ours in the same situation. That's probably a good idea. Okay, very good. And if you uh, would like to call the office, the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And thanks so much for calling, Chris. Thank you. All right, Bye. take care. Doug, you know, I saw another very, very interesting article um, on how to build your financial dream team. <laughs> and it said that if you're tired of doing it yourself, or your pros aren't performing up to snuff, then it may be time for a change. And if you face a setback this year, like a divorce, death of a spouse, or a job loss, then you especially want a team that is looking out for you in your best interests. Did you see that article? I did see the article. I didn't read the whole thing, but I liked the approach that there needs to be... Uh, a, a financial team that's looking out for you, who's looking out for you. And there's so much confusion out there, Linda. Uh, really, there is, there is a, it's, it's almost essential. You know, you need a good estate lawyer, for instance, and a good estate lawyer should be weighing whether you make moves to take advantage of a $5 million gift tax exclusion, which is out there right now. And of course, you need a good accountant because a good accountant you know, you should be looking out for scenarios in the future with regard to tax law changes. And obviously, you got to have a good financial advisor who's going to take into account how you feel about the risks in the investment world, in the aftermath of what happened in 2008 and 2009, and still be able to get a modest or comfortable growth to the portfolio. So building the team composed of the financial plan, the financial planner, financial advisor, the certified public accountant, and the attorney, I think, 
is, of course, crucial. You know, it amazes me. There are some folks that that uh, I have spoken to at the office that call in some of our listeners, and it's amazing how so many folks have lived a lifetime and haven't addressed their estate planning. They don't have wills, and others uh, are in a real crisis because they need a lot of advice in preparing for their taxes, or they've gotten another uh, extension instead of doing it on time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I agree with uh, you know what was said in this article. And Doug, as far as choosing a financial planner, just about anyone can hang a shingle and offer financial advice with fairly little training or experience. Isn't that true? It is, and it's sad to say that a lot of the shingles that are hung out there are by people who have very little training or experience and are just salespeople. Yeah, the the article uh, went on to say that insurance salespeople, stockbrokers, accountants, and even lawyers might call themselves financial advisors, but under your specific needs, they might not fall under the their area of expertise. In addition, even fancy credentials might not translate into great work. Well, I think it's important to look at those credentials, Linda. I mean, you have to understand what are the differences. Now, some credentials do matter. For example, Certified Financial Planner, CFP. That's a very important educational degree. And Certified Public Accountant, CPA, that's another one. And these two designations require extensive coursework, and those that carry those designations have passed many hours of examinations and of exams. Uh, They also require work experience and additional continuing education each year. But if you compare the Certified Financial Planner to maybe a stockbroker, well, the stockbroker, he only needs to have studied to get a license to sell investments, to sell securities. And then it's even worse, many of these, uh, I don't want to call them phony designations, but they certainly have been attacked by the SEC in the past year. Uh, There are many other designations, such as the Master Financial Planner and the Certified Retirement Financial Planner and the Chartered Senior Financial Planner. I mean, these require questionable. Yeah, these are some some of these were credentials. Were, yeah, they're weekend study courses where you go to a seminar, you have a free dinner, and uh, you now have a new designation. So uh, that's also important to understand that. Well, Doug, uh, registered investment advisors and CPAs and lawyers, those who are paid to give investment or other advice, have a fiduciary obligation. What does that mean? Yeah, that is a big dividing line, this matter of fiduciary obligation. It's a legal requirement to put the interest of the client in front of the advisor. In other words, they're required by law to think of you first. On the other hand, stockbrokers and other advisors that are not fiduciaries, they only have an obligation to recommend options and investments that are suitable for you, which is far less serious so this matter of fiduciary is quite crucial. Uh, and, and, and I guess the question comes down to what do you think you need? If, if, if you're the individual out there who feels that financial talk seems like a language beamed down from some other planet or you want to 
uh, try and figure out what are they talking about, then what you want to go see is not a stockbroker. You want to see someone who has a fiduciary responsibility or obligation to put your interest first. And there's the, the dividing line right there. But you know, Lynn, when you go ahead and start to do your search to put together this financial dream team, you need to have some questions, as you always tell our listeners, have questions. You certainly do need to, to have questions to ask. And one of those questions is, what services do you provide? If you're going to meet with a financial planner in the new year or you've decided that, you know, whoever's been managing your, your money uh, for the last uh, decade isn't someone you're happy with, or then you should ask, what services do you provide? And a good financial planner will review your entire financial life, including your current investments, your insurance policies, and your work benefits. That person should help you budget, manage debt, plan for both death and taxes, and also find the right insurance as well as help you with your investments. Once you've gotten clear on what are the services that this person provides, then you come down or you should come down to the question of, well, how do you charge? Do you charge by the hour? Those fiduciaries that charge by the hour, those uh, those individuals such as myself uh, who are fiduciaries, uh, some charge by the hour. I know the article pointed to hourly rates that went anywhere from 100 to $300 an hour. Others charge an annual flat fee. Uh, but the real thing is to get clear on the charges. And if you only need occasional advice, then you may want to pay by the hour. Uh, on the other hand, if you think you might be wanting to go back periodically and ask a lot of questions, maybe a flat fee is what you're looking for. But I think once you get to that point of charging, the most crucial question to ask is, do I have to sign a power of attorney giving you control over my money? And that is a discretionary account, isn't it? Doug? It's a discretionary account. It is a fiduciary responsibility, but that's a money manager. And you need to understand whether you want a money manager, which is someone that you sign a power of attorney over to, and they will buy and sell on your behalf, or do you want a financial planner who will be giving you advice? In and other as words, they're, as they're buying and selling for you, there's usually a fee attached, right? Well, maybe yes, maybe no, Linda. Most of those that are doing the buy and selling, they have their story that says, uh, you will sign a power of attorney over to me. I'll buy and sell on your behalf, but I won't be charging you any commissions. I'll charge you what's called a percent of your assets that are under my management. That's called AUMs. Okay. Uh, that arrangement is a power of attorney which gives control to the investment advisor. I personally don't like that arrangement because I don't think you should ever give up control, but it is the most popular form out there right now. And you should make sure that you understand, will you be signing a power of attorney giving control over to your money? You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Join us on the open lines if you've got a question and call us at 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783. And if you're out of town, it is toll free at 1-800-662-7979. 
So the financial dream team of putting it together right at the beginning of 2012, I think is smart, making sure you understand who is a fiduciary, how he's going to charge or how she's going to charge you. You should be asking questions like, how often will we meet? I uh, will be meeting on a regular basis. Uh, how often are the, uh, the, uh, the consultations that we will be having? You should ask questions. Have you ever been disciplined by a professional organization? You should ask questions like, what's the management style that you prefer if it's an investment advisor? Some advisors do an annual review and others do it every six months, right? Correct. In any case, the bottom line is you need to feel comfortable. You need to feel comfortable with the advisor. No one else cares as much about your finances as you do. And if you feel like the advisor is condescending or speaks in a language you don't understand, uh, then you need to get somebody else. Now, that's for the financial planner. For the CPA, the accountant, the biggest question I would say is, will you work with my financial planner? Because a lot of times you get into this turf competition and that's not good when you have professionals that are arguing amongst each other because you you want to know will they be able to strategize concerning your taxes and so it's it's uh necessary that there be the proper communication between your tax advisor and your financial advisor right doug exactly especially here we are a lot of folks are getting ready you're going to start getting all those uh, documents, those year-end statements. 1099s, 1099s K-1s. In preparation for your tax return that will need to be filed April 15th. So we got two people on the team so far. The financial advisor. The financial planner, the financial advisor himself. And, and your accountant. And the CPA. The third person on the team would be. Your lawyer, your attorney. That's right. Make sure that you get your estate documents reviewed. Uh, revised, updated, especially if you've had uh, a divorce or the death of a spouse. And write down your questions because certainly if you go to your attorney, they'll be charging you a fee as well. Well, I like to recommend to clients of ours that make sure the attorney will work with your financial planner. In our office, we actually have the attorneys come into our office to work with the client, so we're there to make sure there's no miscommunication. And as far as checking out the lawyer's credentials, you can go to an, uh, a, a, a website called www.martindalehubble. Martindale Hubble has been around for uh, decades and decades, and they evaluate the history of uh, the credentials of attorneys. So that's well, it as far as the team, the the financial dream team. I think it should be done. And right now we're at the beginning of 2012. Let's get it done. And if you'd like to call Lewis Financial Management, we are located in Raleigh, North Carolina at 4904 Professional Court, Suite 101. And our phone number is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're going to take a caller right now. Steve, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Good evening. How are you? All right. Um, it's clear in the case of an insurance salesman or a stockbroker or a lawyer how they get paid. In the case of a certified financial planner, you're giving a variety of advice, and you may advise to purchase products or something from another individual. How are you compensated? What it, how do you go about getting a certified financial planner for yourself? 
financial planners can be paid in one of three ways, and actually there are all sorts of variations on those ways. First of all, there is what's called the fee-only planner. The fee-only planner will be paid either on an hourly basis, or he may be paid or she may be paid on a flat basis, which is for a project. Let's say that uh, you come with a series of questions you want asked and and you want some analyses run and so forth, and he can quote you how much time it will take or how over what period or or what his flat fee might be to do that. Some fee-only planners do what they call a percent of assets. So if you're going into a long-term financial planning relationship, some will go ahead and charge you anywhere from, say, uh, three-quarters of a percent of your assets to, I've heard, as high as 3% of your assets. You really have to sort of walk through what type of arrangement you want with a fee-only planner. And I will say this, some fee-only planners do something called money management, where you sign over discretion and then they charge you a percent of assets for managing the money, but not so much the financial planning component. It's just the money management component. Okay. Okay. Now you have the other kind of planners. You have those that will go ahead and charge on what they call a fee commission basis. And that's where they may be a reduced fee, where they're charging you, again, either hourly or on a flat fee basis. But because the advice will contain some investment or some insurance or some implementation of something, they're going to be doing the implementation for you. So if it's disclosed to you up front and agreeable, then they can give you a reduced fee because there'll be commissions that you're going to have to pay to somebody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can go ahead and just have the advice given to you and you take the advice and you go over to your local stockbroker or your insurance agent and you pay the commission. But other people say, well, if I'm going to have to pay it over there, is there a way I could get a reduced fee? and let the implementation be done through the planner giving the advice. And there are planners. I would say most planners work in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have, and I don't really agree with this third method, but I've heard it said that there are those who are commission-only planners. I don't think you can be independent if everything that you're doing uh, is based upon some sort of implementation, some sort of a sale, right? because then you're commission-driven. Uh, I don't ever recommend it. I know I myself will never do that. Now, I, Linda and I have never done that. Steve, when you're looking at, at a financial planner, find out how long have they been a certified financial planner. Did they just get their certification last month? Or have they been in the industry for a while? Because that will determine what is their expertise. Right, Doug? It is. Another good thing is the question of what does the planner do. Planners are trained, especially certified financial planners, are trained to produce financial plans. Now, a financial plan is a document. It's a written document. Uh, Ours in our office cover 13 sections of the client's financial life. And that document is a series of analyses and recommendations. Then there's the ongoing reviews and the reports and the monitoring and the tracking and the ongoing planning through the years. So when interviewing planners, you should look at a sample financial plan. You should find out how many plans the planner produced this past year for clients, and you should look at the ongoing planning reports that the planner provides to his clients, and then, of course, you should make sure that you get client references and speak to clients who have been with the planner for a minimum of two, three, or four years. How could you be confident that a fee and commission financial planner would be working in your best interest instead of simply the best interest of the product he's selling? The only way that you can ever be confident of someone not taking advantage of you 
is really through experience. So, and I don't mean to hedge that question, but you've got a problem of the cost. If a person wants to work on a straight fee-only basis, many people can't afford it. Right. And then to work on a fee-only basis and then to go elsewhere and also pay commission, some don't. Questions that I would ask, though, is, is the planner at all connected with any investment products that he recommends? For example, let's say that he's at a brokerage firm and he calls himself a financial planner. Well, obviously, he's going to be recommending the products of that brokerage firm. Correct. Uh, let's say that he's got an insurance affiliation and uh, this is his main business. And I would also say one of the things you can do is you can look at the planner's revenues. Ask the planner, where do you get the bulk of your income from? From fees or from commissions? Our number here in Raleigh, uh, if you'd like to give a call, is uh, 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Does that help, Steve? Okay, that's very good. I appreciate your time there. Oh, you're sure welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. That was a great call, wasn't it, Doug? That was. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of bad news that's been out there also. I, I'm glad Steve's call was there. But, you know, Lynn, uh, there was notice that PNC is going to be laying off 600 people in North Carolina after the uh, bank merger, the RBC bank merger. And the article said just a few days ago that 600 RBC bank employees in North Carolina will lose their jobs following the bank's takeover by PNC Financial Services Group. That notice was just filed on Friday with the State Department of Commerce. 425 jobs in Rocky Mount, 196 in Raleigh, would be eliminated, and that is going to drive or should be driving many people to seek financial advice because you don't want to panic. You do want to get proper advice. And sometimes losing a job might be an opportunity for a new position, but along the way, some of those folks who, if they've been employed by uh, RBC for a period of time, they may have accumulated in a 401k that they can do what with now, Doug? Those are decisions that have to be made. They are decisions that have to be made uh, with regard to retirement assets, with regard to health insurance, with regard to... Uh, Possible a, rollovers. A lot of different questions pop up in a, in a in a situation when your job has suddenly been either consolidated or lost and that's when you don't want to lose your bearings you want to find a qualified professional that can answer the investment side the rollover or not rollover on the IRA to the 401k to an IRA on the medical insurance on social security and so on and what are your new benefits all right Doug there was another very interesting article i saw in the wall street journal and it it had to do with how to make your 401k plan work harder did you see that? Well, I think I did. I'm not sure. But I know that the problem with 401ks is uh, more and more evident every year. The first thing that most people need to do with regard to making their 401k work harder is to take control. Because you need to take a look at the investment choices that are available to you. And a lot of times it's shockingly poor what's available. They should be, at a minimum, a handful of low-cost domestic and international stock and bond mutual funds available to you. And if the plan doesn't offer those, then you ought to talk to the people in charge at your employer and insist that they move to a better plan. Uh, it, it is really sad 
but a lot of them don't. And when they don't offer a good selection, unfortunately, when they come to see us, I see their money has been sitting in some sort of low-yielding stable value fund or a target date fund, which is ostensibly designed for someone your age, which, I mean, I think those are sometimes a real joke. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with these target date funds, but that doesn't mean that you can rely on them either, and people got really shocked about them in 2008. Isn't it also important to consider the alternatives that are available to you in your 401k, such as uh, understanding if your company makes matching contributions? And if so, how much will they match? And should you go to the match or to the max, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right, Lynn. There's no good reason for missing out on a good company match. That's true. That's true. I mean, you have to understand that if the company is giving you a matching dollar, then you need to get those free dollars because you don't want to miss out on free money. But once you go and make the decision, I'm going to accumulate more than the company is matching, then you better be careful what you're doing because at that point, it's where are the investment options available for me inside this 401k? And this is where I get very hesitant about letting the tax tail wag the dog. Anyway, you need to take control of what are the investments and what's the match about the 401k. And then the second thing is to cut the cost of your 401k. A lot of the mutual funds that I see in 401ks are far too mediocre. They've got high fees inside of them, and that just soaks up your investments. And you need to be a little more careful about what are the funds that are there. Now, there are some managed mutual funds that are definitely worth their money, but a lot of them just don't find their way into 401k plans, and maybe that's where you should go to index funds. But you shouldn't be just by the name of a fund. You want to check the cost of those funds in the 401k. Doug, also, um, a lot of folks keep most of their stock market investments in the U.S., and in four hundred one k's in the four hundred one k. Yes. So what is your uh, what did what I, what did it reference regarding I, I, that? I personally think that people who do that are selling themselves short by investing too much in USA funds in in American funds in 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 funds that are based in the U.S. Because uh, there are some really good overseas international opportunities. Many 401k plans, unfortunately, go light on international investment options. And the real reason is simply the incompetence uh, or maybe complacency of the plan sponsors. But if there are international opportunities, then you ought to check them out and see how uh, how they might fit into the portfolio. And if you happen to have bond funds in your portfolio, isn't it uh, admittedly a risky time to invest in U.S. bonds? Yeah, you know, Lynn, that's a that's a good question. Some people have just dumped everything into the bond funds in their 401ks, and that is pretty poor decision-making right now with interest rates as low as they are. No doubt about that. On the other hand, uh, you do need to look and see what are the options. Do we have a spread of of uh, bond funds and stock funds and so forth. It's just crazy that most 401k plans offer a very limited range of investment 
options. And there is usually, not usually, there's sometimes when I study these plan options that are available to clients that come to see us, sometimes I see there's a special window that they can check off to where they can actually get access to all funds out there that they never even saw was, was, was available to them. So now might be a good time to visit a certified financial planner and review your 401k to make it work harder. Yeah, ask, uh, write down your questions and speak to your human resources folks and make sure that uh, uh, if you're not contributing to the plan in this new year, you want to be contributing if it's, you know, if it's if it's something that you can do and uh, write down any questions and call us at Lewis Financial Management if you have any questions or if you'd like to set up an appointment where we can help you review your 401k plan and what choices might be suitable for you, not only in your retirement plan, but also on the personal uh, portfolio as well. And if you'd like to call us at the office in Raleigh at Lewis Financial Management, our number is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. Visit us at our website uh, at www.lfmadvisor.com. Let's take another caller. Okay, Lee, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Oh, good evening. I have a question about selling investment property. All right. Um, I've got a condominium uh, that we bought for uh, rental investment property. Right. And if I sell it, is there any way to shelter that? Do you owe any mortgage on it? Yes. Do you owe any debt on it? Yes. Is there a way to sell it and avoid the capital gains tax? Right. The answer to that question is yes, if you set up a charitable remainder unit trust before you have any written agreement between you and any buyer. I see. You then, and you also must release yourself of any mortgage. So you've got to pay off that mortgage, and then you transfer this property or you give this property to a charitable trust. You remain the trustee of that trust so that you are basically giving it from your right pocket to your left pocket. You are giving it away from yourself as the individual owner to yourself as trustee for a charitable trust. Then the trust sells it to your buyer and pays no capital gains tax. The reason the trust can do that is because you've agreed in your trust document that after you and your wife die, what's left in that trust will go to a charity. That's right. But you must make sure that there is no mortgage because you can't transfer it into the trust with a mortgage on it. Okay. And if you need any uh, further information, give us a call at the office here in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Thank you very much for your help. Thank you for calling, Lee. Goodbye. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. 
For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.